Grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. We are kind of uh, uh, moving our service around a little bit today. We're putting the sermon towards the front end of the service. We're going to have some more singing time here in a bit and finish off with some baptisms this morning. And I tell you, God was uh, really at work uh, in the first service and uh, pray the same uh, takes place here. What a joyful time. Acts chapter 8. It has been a few weeks since we've been in Acts in our series. We've had some kind of special Sundays that we've had here for a little while, and uh, but we are excited. I'll say I'm excited to be able to get back into Acts. And I want to remind you that in Acts here in these beginning chapters, we are so much in a time of transitioning. Uh, God's work with mankind is is very much transitioning. It's post the cross, it's post the resurrection, and, and a number of things are taking place. I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit, uh, but it's a really neat time. Now, to bring us up to date, we've had this so far, Acts chapter 1, God has a thing. God has a thing, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. God has a to the ends of the earth thing. Acts chapter 2, God has empowered his people to do his thing. The spirit of God comes and dwells in believers and just empowers us to be able to do what he's called us to do. Acts chapter 3, the thing is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And we see Peter and John getting after and doing that. God is a thing. God has empowered his people to do his thing. And that thing is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. In chapters 4 and 5, it was then proclaim it with boldness, proclaim it with togetherness, proclaim it in the fear of the Lord, and proclaim it in joy. And really from Acts chapter 5 on, it's all that lived out. And just watching God do a work with his people, among his people, and uh, through his people. Uh, I just want to know before we start reading Acts chapter 8, everything up so far in Acts chapter 1 through 7 is all taking place in Jerusalem. Where is it taking place? In Jerusalem. And if you remember, oh yeah, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but it doesn't stop there, does it? The next is Judea and Samaria, and you are welcome at any time. Go to the back of your Bible, find out where Judea and Samaria are because they're not that far away. But God is now starting to expand his church, okay? Because that's been his plan from the very beginning. So let's do this. Let's dig into Acts chapter 8. Let's start, let me read verses 1 through 3. And Saul, uh, by the way, we're going to be talking about Saul next Sunday. And Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's execution from chapter 7. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all what? Scattered. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed there in Jerusalem. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Again, as I said, next Sunday, we're hitting Saul. Incredible story. Incredible, cool reality of what's taking place in Saul's life. Uh, Today, we're really keen on what God is doing with his people. And God is sovereignly sending out his people here. And it's interesting. It's through persecution. He's pushing them out. The text says he scattered them. Whenever I think of scattered, uh, one of the things that just commonly comes up as I was reading this is a maple tree that we had in our house in Lafayette. And that maple tree, I loved. It was huge. It was beautiful. Right now at our house, kind of newer house, it's like you got these stick trees. It's like, what's the deal with that? 
There's like a Pee Wee Herman tree. And it's like, I want a real tree. And in Lafayette, the house we had, we had a real tree. And, and on that tree, it would have the attack of the helicopter seeds every spring. You know what I'm talking about? And it was kind of one of those things where uh, it was annoying because it would go everywhere. But as, as someone who in the past used, used to design equipment, I, I loved studying those seeds. I really, really did. I know I'm a bit weird, but I loved it. And here's a couple things about those seeds. One, how they were scattered. I mean, they were growing on the tree and then an external force would come and push them off the tree and scatter them out. They didn't just drop straight down. They kind of floated out. They were designed to do that, to move. And something would push that out. And they were designed when they planted in, they were put there just the right way to be able to start growing. And one of the things that was really interesting with our particular maple tree, when I looked at it and literally kind of studied it, at the very end, at the very bottom, there was literally a little hook that was God designed into that maple seed. And when that thing would come down, and the reason I noticed the hook was because we had an asphalt driveway, and that hook was so annoying because it was so hard to get out of our asphalt driveway, but it hooked in. God scatters his people and intends for them to hook in where they land. We're going to come to that in just a second. God scatters his people. And even here, it's through persecution. So we're going to first, I think from here, uh, see a macro view of God expanding his church and then a micro view, a macro view, kind of a 20,000 foot altitude of what God is doing. And then right after that, we're going to go into micro view and take a look at two individuals because when people come to Christ, that means individuals are coming to Christ and we need to understand what goes on in the heart of, of men. So let's pick up verse four and five. Now, those who are scattered, got the image? scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. I'll pause there because one of the things in this is as you read this, as, as a lay person, sometimes you read texts like this and in our translations, the way we have the words here, it's like, uh, that's a preacher's job. They're preaching, they're proclaiming. I want for you to understand when it talks about all of them uh, preaching the word, that word in the Greek has a very uh, a general use of it. It's discussion. It's any discussion that's taking place. And so it's this idea of when the people, when the normal, regular, everyday people were scattered, part of what was a part of their life was they just discussed about Christ. And that's what we're to do, right? Philip, the word that's used there has a little bit more of a publicness to it. Maybe a little bit more like what I'm doing or that kind of that. Listen, God puts people in places to where some have a more public opportunity realm. Others, all of us are to be involved in the common discussion and talk of the scriptures, right? Okay, that's to be a part of who we are. So God sovereignly scatters his people. And here it's being done through persecution. Why does God scatter his people? Well, we see it here. God scatters his people to proclaim his name. That's why. Now you can see in verse four, as we talked about, all the people proclaiming, discussing the word, and also Philip in the process as well. So what's the result of God sovereignly scattering his people? Well, people respond when his name is proclaimed. Let's look at verses six through eight. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. 
Notice in there, the crowds paid attention. That has the idea of they turned one's mind to. It's not just like I hear it in the distance, but it's like I'm engaged, I'm engaged, I'm zeroed in, I'm paying attention. Uh, it's like an about face. You have my full attention. And notice, it says the crowds are, crowds are paying attention as one accord. That's cool. I mean, a whole people, here is Philip is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And a whole people were all like, zoom, paying attention, got my ear. What's going on? My heart's being stirred. I just love this idea of what's happening. And what's the response out of all that? Joy. Woo! God's at work. What a delight that is when God is at work, isn't it? Question, why are you here on the west side of Indy? Why are you here in Indianapolis? Answered, you've been scattered here for a purpose. You have a purpose here. Oftentimes uh, over the years, I've observed people have a tendency to, to kind of think this way sometimes. I'm only here in this area for a few months or maybe a couple years. Uh, I, I'm only here for school. I'm here for an internship. I'm here for a job. Uh, I don't expect Indianapolis to be my long-term place of where I'm going to be living at or having my residence. Uh, I just want to say this. You've been placed here for a purpose. And it's not just about a job. If life is about a job, ugh. It's not just about a job. It's not just about school. It's not just about people that you know. From God's perspective on a 20,000 foot perspective, you've been planted where you are. And if someday you're planted somewhere else down the road, you're planted there with a purpose. And that is to be a person that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. You have a purpose. How are you doing with it? Well, now to the micro-reality. God's at work among his people sovereignly. And now we come down to individuals. Because if I say that I'm to be, and the scriptures say that I'm to be someone who is engaged where I'm planted, then I need to have some understanding of what happens in the, in the minds and the hearts of people. And I think here Luke kind of turns from the macro perspective to a micro-reality. He narrows it in onto two individuals. Two individuals, I think one, and there's some debate on this, but I'm just going to tell you where I'm coming from and why here. I think one of them, he gives an example of a counterfeit decision for Jesus Christ. And the other is more of a real deal decision for Jesus Christ. And I think he's giving these so we understand what's taking place, so we can be people that are equipped to help. Now, when I say there's a counterfeit decision for Christ uh, coming up here, um, that may make you uncomfortable. And I can understand why. In fact, you could even be saying, boy, Doug, that's awful judgmental. Or how do you know? And ultimately, I don't. Ultimately, I don't. And I hope Simon here does know Christ or did come to a point where he knows Christ. But I think here in the text as we see, I don't think Simon really knows Christ. I'll even just refer to this. Part of the reason I'm not that uncomfortable talking about it is because the Bible talks about it over and over again. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says to them, uh, to the people listening, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus responds, I never knew you. Oh my word, can you imagine their souls, their hearts, their minds at that moment? And then, in fact, the crowd responds, and and they say, he says, he talks in it, and he says, uh, uh, they'll even say, but we proclaimed your name. We did works in your name. He says, but I never knew you. 
I got to tell you, friends, if that isn't a verse that just grabs a hold of you and shakes you and I up a bit to be able to ask the honest, real deal question of ourselves, am I conning myself? Or is it real? And then another one is Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, one of my very, very favorite passages of Scripture. There's about the four soils, and Jesus gives an example. of uh, 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 The farmer scatters the seeds on four soils, and it's the second and the third soil that are the key. The second and the third soil, the text talks about, it receives the word, which is referring to Jesus Christ. It receives Christ with joy. And it says, but then as it begins to, to sprout, all of a sudden in the rocks and in the thorns, all of a sudden tribulation because of the word. In other words, we don't get as much as this persecution comes about. But then the other one is really our world today. It's like stuff of the world becomes our thing and it talks in the text it says and then you fall away i do not believe in losing one's salvation i think what jesus is actually giving an illustration there and i think what's really taking place here with simon is they were never originally really saved then you bring up another passage john 15 it talks about abiding in the vine and and abide in the vine and produce fruit fitting with that And yet, also in the context of the text, it talks about if a branch doesn't produce any fruit and it's dead, it's not in the vine. The Bible talks about, out of love for people, that we can pretend and we can fake ourselves and think we're at a right place and we're not. So with that in mind, let's enter this and see a man I think we see this happening here. Let's pick up Acts chapter 8, verse 9, with a real-life example. Uh, But there was a man named Simon. This is not Peter, uh, Simon the magician, probably as your heading says. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he'd amazed them with his magic. I think Simon here had a wrong view of self. And by the way, here was Simon. I just want for you to know, uh, I'm actually using, uh, John MacArthur has four points here about Simon that I thought just really hit it on with these four. So I'm just, I'm just giving you that's the source of those points here. And I think we'll, I'm going to work off of them just so you know. But Simon had a wrong view of self. Uh, unredeemed Simon here, he is not, does not know Christ. And yet we see this man, I mean, how proud is this? I mean, it says there in the text, he was saying uh, that he himself was somebody great. Now imagine if I stood here right now and said this, I just want for you all to know, I'm somebody great. <laughs> what are you thinking right now? Can we get out of here for one? Because that guy is arrogant, right? And this is where Simon is at. But I'll say this, he, he, he doesn't know Christ yet. And what do we expect? That's Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. I mean, we are all kings. We are all our own bosses without Christ. And yet, so that's where he's coming from. So Doug, are you being too hard on him? Well, right at this moment, if we don't know the rest of the story, I think I am being too hard on him. But I'll let you know, as we see the rest of the story, I think what comes out and Peter will help us understand is, is that this change from being about self never changed. A person who comes to Christ needs to make a transition from life being all about me to life being about Christ. It doesn't mean we're perfect. Oh, no, no, no. We're growing and changing and becoming more and more like Christ. Nobody's perfect in this room. But we're pursuing after that. And I don't think we're going to see Simon change from his view of himself here. In fact, I think Simon is more enthralled and more gripped by Philip's power than Philip's actual message. 
In other words, Philip was more awed by Philip than he was by Jesus Christ. Number two, Simon had a wrong view of salvation, verses 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. That's cool. Both men and women. Verse 13, look at this. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. I realize in light of what I've already said, I think Simon has a counterfeit reality going on in his relationship with Christ. And yet the text says he believed and was baptized. Boy, Doug, you're on, you're on shaky ground there. And I, I understand that. But I think he has a wrong view of salvation here. First of all, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel here talks about Philip's message is two things. It's the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God. That has to do with all that the Father has uh, control over in the sphere of salvation. Uh, he has control over all things. And, and the name of Jesus Christ, who of all Christ is, that, that's what the gospel is all about. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ leads to the reality of the kingdom of God. Uh, that's the message here. And yet it says Simon believed that and was baptized and even followed Philip around. True salvation does have a starting point. It has a starting point, but it also has a living out reality. That was the soils. They received with joy, but then other things came in, and it's like real life validates the choice. When you became married, you became married when you made a vow. One of the problems today is people have made a vow, but a lot of people aren't living married. People have made a vow but they're living as a single. That's not what it's about. Life has to change. And it's the same thing with Jesus Christ. It's just not about the golden ticket to heaven. It's about a long-term eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's now my boss. I'm now choosing to move from my, myself being the boss and myself being the king of my life to Jesus Christ being the king of my life. And the reason is because I'm a sinner separated from God, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But over here, I'm going to choose and receive Christ as my savior because he provides forgiveness. He's paid the price for my sin and made salvation and forgiveness available. And it's not just about the golden ticket. It's about a lifelong walk with the savior. I've been living this direction. I now want to live this direction for him. And in this, I think Simon continues to carry a wrong view of self and a wrong view of salvation. Uh, hang with me here if you're not buying into what I'm saying on the counterfeit part yet. Verse 14 and 17, I think Simon also has a wrong view of the spirit. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. And if you remember so far in Acts, Peter and John are the top two dudes that are, are just out in front and center for the church here. Verse 15, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Whoa, 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 Doug, what's going on here? Is this a receive Christ and then at a later time receive the Spirit of God? What's going on? In like two minutes, let me kind of summarize it up this way. Acts chapter 1 through 10 is transitional. Uh, God is moving from having had Christ come and died on the cross to the resurrection. And then in the beginning of Acts, the spirit of God has come. That's all brand new. 
And now the, the, the reality is that it's a call to go to the Gentiles as well. And the spirit of God on, is there. And, and God's people, are, this is all brand new. And, and it's really not until the end of Acts chapter 10 that we get the ongoing movement of things. Uh, uh, so let me say this. So why is all this happening? Why are they praying over them to receive the spirit of God? Well, here's why. Because the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, um, I'll say this kindly, did not like each other. Okay, they just did not like each other. In fact, the Jews called the Samaritans dogs, like they would call them Gentiles. Remember the story of the Jesus and the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well? And they were freaked out, not only because he was talking to a woman, but he was talking to a Samaritan woman. <laughs> they didn't get along. The Jews had a temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans had their own temple. And so just think about this. What is God doing here? What God is doing here is he's actually had the Samaritans, in essence, had the spirit of God come upon them, like we saw in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, and all that event, this, there was grand potential for them to stay separated for like ever. But God in his love, because God wants now, it's no longer Jew or Samaritan or Greek, all are one in Christ. What does God do? He has Peter and John from Jerusalem, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, come over into the Samaritan people where God's really at work here and they lay their hands on them and it's like Acts chapter two in Samaria. What's taking place now? The Jews and the Samaritans are in on this whole thing together. And God is unifying his people through this time of transition. That's why I think this is a delayed coming of the Spirit of God. And now all God's people are one. Neither Jew nor Samaritan or Greek. It doesn't matter anyone. And by God, the way God does this, it's just a beautiful, beautiful way of God uniting his people as the church. Isn't that cool? Love that. And so I think that's what's taking place here. Because from here on out, you just don't see a person coming to Christ and then later on receiving the Holy Spirit. From here on out, it's really you come to Christ and you have the Spirit of God indwelled in you. Verse 18 and 19. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles, Simon, not Peter, uh, not Simon Peter, but Simon the magician, when he saw all what was happening, essentially, uh, of the apostles' hands, he offered them what? Money. Now, you got to understand Simon and Simon's day. Simon was a magician. It was common in that day. The magicians, and, and uh, they would meet each other, and they would buy each other's tricks, incantations. That was a normal thing. That was part of Simon's life here. So I'll say this. This is just the way Simon had always done life. This was normal. Dudes, you guys are doing something. I want to be able to do that. Can I buy that gig from you? Just hang with me here. Let's see what keeps on happening. So he offered them money, verse 19, saying, give me this power also so that anyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. This is one of those times where I could completely understand saying, Simon, um, you're just not getting the full picture here. Let let me help you. But I'm going to tell you, we don't see the response here in just a second like people who are just ignorant in the Lord and new to the Lord. Instead here, we see Simon negotiating for something. And I just want for you to know, God doesn't sell or negotiate himself. God actually gives the spirit of God freely to anyone who is a child of the father. It's free. Isn't that amazing? God gives himself freely. 
oh, thank you, Lord. Well, let's bring some clarity to this because I think Peter does. By the way, do you remember Peter when we went through John and Peter's kind of like, Peter, bless your heart, but your foot is in your mouth constantly, dude. When are you just going to learn just to be quiet? But in Acts, we've seen Peter be the man, haven't we? Why? Because of the Spirit of God working on him and God's just hand on him. So I'll tell you, in Acts, when Peter speaks, listen. Listen to what Peter says, verse 20. So Simon, after offering money for the power, Peter says, verse 20, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Now I read that kind of on purpose. I read that a bit bland. Um, And I understand why our English translations kind of soften this. But I think it's important that we understand what Peter actually said. In the Greek, Peter actually said literally. He told him, he said, to eternal annihilation with you and your money. Can I translate that? And kids, teens, I want to let you know, you don't go around talking like this, what I'm about to say, but I'm just telling you what's being said. And this was not cussing at him. This was theological statement. Literally, what Simon, or Peter is saying to Simon is, Simon, to eternal hell with you and your money. I just have to say, who says that to a believer? When you go and you take a look in the New Testament and Jesus talking, I will say this, Jesus talks like that to the Pharisees. He talks like that to people who think they're in a right place with the Lord, but they're conning themselves. They're counterfeiting themselves. They're fooling themselves. They're in the wrong place. And Jesus talked hard with that. You whitewashed tombs, you vipers, you snakes. Isn't it? But whenever you see Jesus talking to people who are kind of innocent, like, you know, bless your heart, dude. Let me come alongside you and help you understand. Jesus is incredibly patient with people who just had a right heart, but just didn't get it. And here we see Peter responding like Jesus responded to the Pharisees. And by the way, it's not done with the literalness of this. To eternal annihilation with you and your money, Simon, you suppose that you can procure for yourself the gift of God? No part whatsoever do you have in this. It's emphatic. Your heart is not right before God. And it's kind of a holistic statement here. I think here, and what we're going to see in just a second as well, is, is basically Peter has come to realize, listen, the fruit that's being shown out of this man's life is he doesn't get the gospel at all. He's really not, it's not losing salvation. He's just never been in a right place. You know, today we so soft pedal Jesus Christ. We so soft pedal the gospel of God. So many churches today, it just breaks my heart as we've gone around and look in the past and some people just don't even bring their Bibles to church anymore because it's like they just open it, read a verse, close it and talk whatever the pastor wants to talk about. What's with that? I mean, we're about God's word. That's what it's about. It's about the truth of scripture. And here in this world, it's just kind of like receive Jesus and, and, and do the ditty dance and, and you've got the golden ticket. But where's the fruit? We stop there. And this is one of the things that I just say, we should all be stepping back and going, asking the literal question, wait a second, am I for real? I think Peter in love for Simon here. 
It's just being straight up with them and saying, Simon, where are you at? Simon has a wrong view of sin. Look at verses 22 to 24. What does Peter tell him? Repent. And repent of what? Repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord. Who's he supposed to pray to? To the Lord. If possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. I'm going to say this is a, a holistic, deep problem. This isn't a lack of understanding. This is a source problem from the very heart. It's the answer for someone who's at a place where just being straight up with self, that's not where I'm at. The answer is repent for real. It's just, that, that's, that's the love answer. By the way, look at how Simon finishes here, verse 24. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I would just say to Simon, Simon, that's not what Peter told you to do. Simon, you go to the Lord. And you repent. I want for you to know, someone praying over you doesn't bring you into relationship with Jesus Christ. It's you coming to the place of where I'm at with the Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm totally depraved. We talk about sin. We don't key in on sin, but we talk about sin and the reality and the bigness of sin. Because if we have a little teeny view of sin, like, oops, I made a mistake, or oops, I'm kind of like, you know, oops. Uh, type of a thing, then guess what? We only need about that big of a God. But if we talk about sin the way the scriptures talk about sin, total depravity, that everything within me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I'm literally, I'm not, I'm not a child of God without Christ. I'm actually an heir of the prince of the power of the earth. And sin is huge. And big sin requires a big God. And that's what the Bible is all about. It loves you and I enough to say, we have a big sin problem, every one of us. But here's the cool thing. The creator, the savior who created us to be for his glory, he's solved the problem and he's made the solution available. And you and I have a big sin problem, but guess what? He's got a bigger answer in Jesus Christ. That's when we respond and we go, new boss, Yeah, that's my king. Rather than it's like, Jesus is my boyfriend. Totally different. Totally different. Simon is the guy who leaves Jesus out on the porch. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will go in. Take that picture. Let me just take that image. Jesus is on the porch knocking on the door. I think Simon opens the door, kind of has this dialogue with Jesus on the porch, but leaves him there. And then he goes and he says, yeah, Jesus is in my house. Yeah, out on the porch. Never come to the place where it's like, listen, no, no, you are the savior. Come in, redeem me, forgive me. You're the boss of this house now. I now submit and live under you. That's completely different. I think Simon is the guy who leaves Jesus out on the porch. And I just in love, I just so much so, I hope this comes across this way. In love and care for you, could this be you? Could Simon's reality be your reality? I don't want that. God doesn't want that. That's why he tells us this. Could you be a religious person? 
Could you be someone who's sincere about God? Someone who attends, someone who says that they're a believer, someone who's been baptized even. But in the reality of it all, it's never been a reality to where, no, I've driven the stake in the ground, and this is about a life course change. I'm not perfect, but Jesus Christ is my Savior. And as the Scripture says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know that you know that you know? I just want to push you with it today. Do you? Don't fake yourself out. Well, I love the fact here in just a few minutes here, we're going to go to the next guy. I love this because now I think we see this idea of, um, uh, uh, of this guy who has a real deal decision for Christ. And by the way, I just want to let you know that if you're at a place right now where you're really wondering within your heart where you're at in relationship with God, uh, where it's a whole different kind of day today. And I just want to say here in a while, I'm going to provide you the opportunity if you just want to go out and talk with someone while we spend some time singing and so forth and just get this right with Christ. Today's your day, okay? I'm not, don't get all freaky. It's not going to be weird. Now let's go to the next guy, the court official I'm calling him. Uh, Verse 26 to 27, here, the court official pursues worship. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, This this is a desert place. And he rose and he went, by the way, scattered. And Philip goes. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. Now, so often we call this guy the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to call him that today because uh, our view today of an Ethiopian is kind of poor and poverty and, you know, starving to death. I mean, that's kind of our view of it today. And then the whole eunuch part, we're just like, oh, poor guy. And so, you know, we kind of have this view that this is sad, poor little guy. But the fact of the matter is this. He was a high-ranking official in a large kingdom that was located south of Egypt. And in that kingdom, Ethiopian kings were believed to be incarnations of the sun god. And therefore, they were so important that they did not get involved in any governing affairs of the day. They were just too big for that. So ladies, you'll love this. What actually ended up happening in all reality was the real power lay with the queen mothers. The queen mother was the one who really ran the kingdom. And this dude was in charge of all of her finances. She in modern days today, he in modern days today was a secretary of treasury. This was a dude, high position. So I'm going to call him the official So here, what do we see? We see the official. Look at the end of verse 27. He had come to Jerusalem to do what? To worship. Now, here is a guy, a real deal guy at this point, who is pursuing after God. He's not pursuing after his own interests. And he's not pursuing after his increased arrogance. He's pursuing after the worship of Yahweh. Point number one. Point number two, the court official pursues Scripture. Look at verse 28 and following. And, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over to join his chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You got the picture going on here with what's happening here? 
I'll just say this. This guy is in the scripture. Hey, if you want to know about God, the best place to go and know about the Lord is in his autobiography. Go to his Bible. This is how you know about God. And this is where this boy is at. He's not out trying to find other incantations or other magic tricks or what's the newest thing of the day. He's pursuing the worship of Yahweh and he's pursuing Yahweh in the scripture. Third, the court official welcomes the guidance. He welcomes it. Verse 31, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. By the way, that's an authority statement. Here is the secretary of treasury saying to Philip, just the normal Joe Blow, you may come up now and talk with me. This is a guy who welcomed him up. Verse 32, and now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Uh, who can describe his, his uh, generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch of the official said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Philip opened his mouth and loved this. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This court official was a red apple. He was a red apple. He was ripe for the picking. And because we see that in his life, because he was already pursuing the worship of the Lord. He was interested in scripture. He welcomed guidance. And I think lastly here, it shows that he staked it in the ground as we talk here. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. Do you got the urgency? And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. We don't have the whole conversation, but we do know this, that Philip used the scripture to tell this official all about Jesus Christ and what a relationship with God looks like, how it gets started, and what comes out of that. And here is this man at this point in time where he's been yearning, he's been hearing, he's been understanding, and he's like, now it's time to drive the stake. Baptism doesn't save. It's an outward expression of driving the stake in the ground with Jesus Christ and receiving him as your savior. And he's like, I've done that. Let's get on with this. It's like, no more talk, talk, talk. I I, I see it. I call it. I claim it. And now it's time to get after it. Look, look, there's water. We've never done this here at Harvest before. But I want to let you know today, In light of this passage, today's the day to drive the stake. And I'll say this, one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and within you, you're just questioning and wondering, and God's just working in your life to where it's like, listen, you've got to get this settled out. I just want to say, today's the day. In fact, here in a little bit, I'm going to give you the opportunity again, as I mentioned, you're going to be able just to go on out and be able to talk with someone, or if you came with someone, but I'm telling you, don't wait. Don't counterfeit yourself. Make sure that this is for real. And also today, you may have come here. And God wants you to get baptized. If you want to get baptized today, if you've come to Christ as your Savior and you haven't been baptized, today's the day. We are going to have uh, three kids here in the second service who have been through the baptism class. And they're going to be baptized here in just a little bit. First service, we didn't have anyone who had gone through the baptism class or first service to get baptized. And I gave the same, <clears throat> same challenge out to them. 
If you know Christ as your Savior and you haven't been baptized now, we had seven people get baptized this morning. Absolutely. So I want to ask you, if you haven't been baptized, today's the day. If God's working on you or that's just burning your heart right at this moment, I want to let you know this. We have shorts, we have shirts, we even have undergarments for you. And we have towels. And we're set up. Look, there's water. Here's what I want for you to do. I want for you to watch this video of this testimony of God working in a man's life hear what he has to say and what God's done in his life. And if this is churning in your heart, here in just a second, I'm going to ask you, after the video, I'm going to ask you to step on out, okay? So let's watch this video. The Latin Kings is probably one of the biggest Latin criminal organizations. They're known for their brutality. They're servants of sin to the core, even though they portray another image. The gang life just basically consists of using drugs, selling drugs, using guns. It's a life of sin, of corruption, of crime. It's the fall of many, many good individuals. My name is uh, Anthony Acevedo. I go to Elgin Harvest Bible Chapel. When I was 13 and a half, I started going to school out here in Aurora, North Aurora. It was a behavior disorder school, and uh, I met a Latin king there from Carpentersville, and he basically was like, hey, man, you know, uh, you should come with us. We see what type of guy you are. We like that, you know. A day came, I got my initiations in, and then... From that day forward, I was uh, I was an affiliated member. And when I was hanging around them, I just loved it. I loved them. I'm like, yeah, this is me. I, 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 I couldn't be nothing else but this if I was going to be in the gang. Now I understand that it was by the grace of God that saved him because he was like two feet in front of me when I shot him. I shot at him five times. I only hit him twice. I thought I got away with murder. Not to find out that uh, half an hour later I get arrested. One of my first cellies that I had, he was a, he was a believer. He was leaving. He was being released back to population. He was like, "Hey, I want you to have my Bible." And I'm like, well, it's your Bible your mother gave you, and it's a very nice Bible. I can't. You know, what am I gonna do with that? I'm not even gonna read it. You know? He's like take it out so I'm just like hey I got this Bible you know I got other books but uh I'm gonna read this just because I know a lot of people talk about this Bible I'm like I want to know about this Bible so I'm like I got all the time in my hands I'm gonna learn this I'm like, I'm gonna read this from cover to cover so when people want to talk about the Bible I could just criticize them or I could just shut them down or whatever it was that's how I looked at it so um I started in the book of uh Genesis it just went all the way through until um until the book of Revelations and uh, it took me about a year to do that. I started liking it a lot. I'm like, wow, the Bible's good, you know. Got to the Gospels, you know. I'm like, wow, this Jesus. I heard, of course, I heard of Jesus, you know. I'm just starting to recognize things. I'm starting to see things a little different. Uh, of course, I prayed, you know, at night before I went to sleep. And uh, my normal prayer, you know, just going through the motion. Hey, God, you know, I just started praying. And in the midst of that prayer, what I heard within my prayer, you know, it wasn't audible. It was within. It's over with. Today's the day. Today is the day that you're going to serve me. Today is the day that you're no longer going to be a Latin king. That's over with. You're going to serve my kingdom. And I'll, you know, in my prayer, I was just like, what? You know, like, 
Nah, I, I hear this. Where is this coming from, you know? And I'm like, I know you don't want me to live this life, and I know there's nothing good of it, but I mean, I've just been involved in it for so many years. This is all I know. They're my brothers, they're my family. I mean, you're telling me to walk away from everything I've known. That's my identity, that's my self worth, that's who I am. I'm not a man without them. I was like, it's again. He's like, no, you're going to serve me. You're going to serve me. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not even going to sit and try to argue if this is you. I'm like, okay, I'm going to need the peace about this. And I'm gonna need courage, and I'm gonna need some strength. I'm like, cause I'm not gonna be able to do this. As soon as I got them praying, I, I just I got up, and I'm just like, I mean, instantaneous. It was like I had peace. I really think I could just walk away from everything I've known, basically my life. I, I think I could walk away from this. I hit my my Sally's bunk. I'm like, hey, he's like, what's up? I'm like, it's over with, man. It's over with. He's just like, yeah, I, he didn't know what I was talking about though. But I was just like, yeah, it's over with. And I was just happy. I just had I had a peace like I probably never felt in my life. I was just happy, and I'm just like, cool, cool. You know, this is. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna go to sleep. I'm gonna go figure it out tomorrow. As of this moment, I'm disassociating all ties. I'm no longer engaging in none of you guys' activities. I'm like, I'm a man of God. I'm Anthony now, you know? I'm like, um, I'm not Tone no more. I'm not King Tone no more. I'm Anthony. I was at that facility for exactly two months after I made a decision. Nothing happened to me. I just kept going to church even more. I kept reading my Bible even more. I, uh, I actually began to start fellowshipping with other Christian brothers there. I was Jesus Christ crazy in there. I was just representing like I was representing the kings. You know, I told people, you know, I took off my crown, I pick up a cross, and I'm following Christ, you know. Oh man, that's, that's what it's about. When I got out, I, I was a man, and I knew what a man was. A man, to me, was identified in Christ. Everything changed, you know, not only am I a man physically, I'm 26 and a half years old when I was released, but I'm a man spiritually, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I mean, just where I was at was just so different. I knew that I was nothing without God. It's a place where I felt, I just love. Instantly walking in, you just feel, you just feel love in a way I never felt it before. The small group was very vital for me at that moment. Um, you know, their brothers really ministered to me. I was speaking with my group leader, um, when we were speaking about baptism, you know, I'm like, I need to get baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new boss, and your boss wants you to get baptized. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I put my brother and get out the way. I'm getting baptized. Well, why are you coming up here to be baptized? Because I want to let the world know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. That's why. My favorite verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I'm just like, man, that's me. That's me all day. I'm, I'm a new creature. Yeah, I still sin. You know, this walk is not easy compared to the life I've lived. But I'm new. I'm just loving it. I'm just loving it. Amen. Hey, I want to ask everyone just to stand, please. Would you just stand for a moment here? I just want to say this. If, if you're at a place where God's tugging on your heart, and you're at a place where it's like, I don't know if I know Jesus Christ is my Savior uh, here while we're going through some singing and some time. Right now, I'd just like for you to take some steps out. In fact, if I could have the elders and the deacons and the wives take a step out, they're going to be ready for you. We're ready for you. We want to be able to help you. This is a different kind of a Sunday today. And so if that's for you, that's the case, head on out. If you're like, hey, I didn't realize this, but uh, I didn't come ready to be baptized, but God's moving on my heart. Listen, today's the day. We had Sean, we had Matt, oh, we had Griffin, we had a whole family of four in the first service. How cool. And maybe that would be you today. And if that's the case, 
I'm going to pray here, and you just head on out. Head on out. We got shorts. We got shirts. We got everything ready for you. Let's do that. Let me pray, and you head on out if that's the case for you, okay? And kids, by the way, if you're interested, take your, one of your parents or your mom or your dad with you, someone along with you too, okay? Let me pray. Lord God, I just pray. Lord, I don't know if anyone's going to get baptized this morning outside of the three kids that we have scheduled, and what a joy it is going to be to be able to celebrate with them. Their love, their choice, their decision for Christ as their Savior and wanting to show it in the act of baptism. Father, I pray if there's anyone else here this morning, even right now that's at a place where they're like, oh, I want to do this, but I'm scared to death. God, uh, just time to go. Just go. Just move. Just move. Let's get this and let's proclaim the name of Christ right where we're at, right here, right now. Lord, you're wonderful. You're good. You're the king And I pray we would be men and women, boys and girls who live under the king. Father, I thank you for this opportunity right now that we have to be able to take our offering this morning. Now, one more time to an act of worship and giving to you, Lord. It's all about the name of Christ. Thank you. Christ's name we pray. Amen.